Let's open Matthew 1.1. I've had such a good time. I think we're just going to start over and do it again. Okay? Is that cool? Awesome. I looked it up, and uh, I do want you to turn to Matthew 1.1 just, just because. But I looked it up, and we started Matthew uh, January 11th, 2009. So we're under three years. That's good. I thought it was going to be over. But we started... We had uh, a brand new year, we had a brand new home, we had been in there only a couple of months, and we started a new book in the New Testament, and uh, it's been a pretty wild, uh, wild ride. Um, of course, we had, you know, different times in there, we had uh, different uh, special messages and Christmas and different things at Easter, different things that, that uh, broke it up a little bit, but Matthew 1.1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, some people think, and uh, I'm just reviewing a little bit from the beginning here, is that some people think that Matthew's probably the most read book in all the world. Not just Bible book, but the most read book, because, because why? A lot of people, when you tell them, go read your Bible, what do they do? They either start in Genesis or they start in Matthew. And they start in Genesis and they go, I better start in Matthew. So they go to Matthew and, you know, it's a good thing. But the theme, does anybody remember the theme, the, the overall theme of the book of, um, of Matthew? It's been a long time to remember, but maybe you have it written down there. Anybody remember? It's got to do with the king, right. Good job. Who said that? Big John. Extra donut. Too bad we don't have any today. The kingdom of uh, heaven and Jesus the king. It's the kingdom it's all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is king. And, and ultimately, it's a kingdom of the heart. It's not at this point in time, it's not where we see Jesus setting up his kingdom on the earth. We don't see that yet, right? But it's a kingdom of the heart where each one of us, where we surrender. And Jesus' first recorded sermon, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, speaking about himself, and that we need to turn and humble ourselves and repent and turn to him and call him king and let him rule and reign in our lives. Jesus said to Nicodemus that he said these words, I said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And then he also told them, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. So you can't see the kingdom of God, you can't enter into it unless you've been born again, this experience that he talks about where we have a brand new birth that takes place within our very souls. And that's what makes it a kingdom of the heart where it's a, we're born again with, from within. A new life starts within us. But it happens on a daily basis where, as we see, turn to Matthew 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33, the... I, what many, and I, I, I agree with this, the, the key verse for this, uh, key verses for this book, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 6.33 and 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Now, Go ahead and turn back with me to Matthew 28, where we left off last time. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and, and it being the very central fact, the most important fact in, of all Christian history. 
And without the resurrection, Paul makes so clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is no hope at all. And we might as well just go out and, and join the world and just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry because if, we, if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we have no hope beyond the grave. We have no hope beyond this life. The angel was there and, and met the ladies, the women that were there. We see they told him to, to come and see, and come and see for yourself, and then go and tell others. Don't be afraid to let other people know. The angel and the risen Jesus both say those words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is alive, and he's here. No amount of lies could ever hide the truth. And, and so we come now to verse 16 through verses 20. Let's go ahead and read those. It says, Then the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We see a number of things there that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, go. Number two, make disciples. Number three, baptize. Number four, teach. Number three and number four being, of course, included in, in being a disciple of Jesus. So verse 16, we, we see the 11 disciples, uh, my, you know, the 12 minus Judas, they went to Galilee to this mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They were obedient to his word. They believed his promise. They said, okay, we're going to go there. In verse 17, it says they saw him there. Of course, Jesus had, had already revealed himself in, in, uh, in Jerusalem right before this occurrence here in Galilee. But they went there, and when they saw him there, it says they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Earlier in the chapter, when, when Jesus met the women there, remember in verse 9, look back, it says they, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And when you and I see him, we will worship him. What does it mean to worship? Does it just mean sing a bunch of songs? What does it mean? What does it truly mean to worship? It means to honor. It means to give glory to, to hold as important, to esteem highly. And, you know, we, we call worship when we sing, we call that our time of worship. And, and there's something, there is something very special and unique about, about uh, using music and song. And the Bible is full of, of uh, exhortations or, or verses about that we should sing and worship him in song. And so we do that and we place high emphasis on that. But it, it isn't just that. And... Uh, it, it's so much more than that. And it's, again, it's a, it's a thing of the heart, this thing of the kingdom of the heart where we worship him and we, we, we adore him and where we, we look to him as the almighty one. In the book of Romans, I've been reading through Romans in my own uh, quiet times. And, uh, you know, I have to be honest with you, Romans is pretty deep. And sometimes I'm in like chapter 6 now, I'm going, I have to like read it like over and over again. But, but in Romans chapter 1, we see it says these words, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped 
and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen, he says. You see, you know, I'm not sure where Bob Dylan is at, but he did write that song that said you got to serve somebody. I don't know where he's at today, but he wrote that song and that, that we're all going to worship and serve somebody or something in this life. You know, I was listening to the radio on the way here and, you know, these, uh, these uh, atheists who say, you know, that, that uh, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is have religion and faith. But the truth is, is they worship and have faith themselves. It's just in different things mostly in themselves and in humans, in the humanism. And that's what Jesus is talking about, or Paul is talking about here. We exchange the truth of who God is, and we worship and serve created things rather than a creator. We worship and serve the things of man, and men, and people, and images. Somebody said these words, listen to this, worship money. Become a greedy person. Worship sex, become a lustful person. Worship power, become a corrupt person. Worship Jesus and become a Christ-like person. Person, We become like what we worship. He goes on to say, what, but what does it mean to worship? We, we, we become like what we worship. And whatever is you know, uh, controlling us, whatever we uh, put all, you know, all this high uh, esteem and honor into, What's important to us? You know, if somebody came to you or to me and said, what's really important to you? Just out of the blue, what would you say? Well, uh, my job, my family, you know. And, and those things are all good and important, but, but are, are those the things that we worship? Or, or, or would we say, what's really, really important is that, that God is in my life and I worship Him. This guy goes on to say that worship... The verb worship in Hebrew means to surrender, to fall down in submission. Paul talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says that this worship goes on in all of our, our lives. While we may fail to understand it, worship is the spiritual part of our surrender. And then he goes on to talk about idolatry and, and uh you know, the fact that our, the truth of the matter is that our, our society especially is completely saturated with idolatry. You say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, uh, I've been to India and, and, and we have some good friends here from India, right? Which I, I want to remind you, they're getting ready to go back to India and then we don't, we don't know for sure if his job is going to be continued here, David and Jeppy, but we'll see. We, we pray. I mean, they've, faced that many times before where they weren't sure if they were leaving or, or whatever, but they keep staying, and we love having them here. But, but when you go to India, you go on the corner, uh, you know, on many corners of the street, and there are little shrines, right? And there are little statues and little things in there, and people, they'll bring, you know, fruit, or they'll bring little things they want to offer. And, and, and that's a pretty clear picture of idolatry, right? I mean, there's a little something they want to come and worship before. And, you know, the millions and millions of God in, in Hinduism is kind of like the overruling thing. But, but we don't kind of see that necessarily here in our country. But if you look a little closer, you do see it. When you go into a, a supermarket or into a, 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 you know, CVS or whatever, what do you see? You see a magazine. What's on there? These pictures of faces of people. We worship people. We worship stars. And dare I say sports figures 
we worship lots of different things. And whatever, you know, you know it's a very, a very clear picture that in our society is full of idolatry. Well, when they saw Jesus, here in verse 17, it says they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus, the king. But notice what it says there at the, at the last part of verse 17. It says, but some doubted. Some doubted. And I, I, I had to look at that and read that. And like, they worshipped him. They saw him. He was standing there in front of him. They saw him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Like, how could that possibly be? But I didn't have to think about it very long because I know myself. I know what us humans are like. We, are, we haven't got there yet. And even them seeing their, him right there in front of them, they, they still had doubts. They still weren't sure about everything. And, and, and if we're honest about it, we're not totally sure about everything. And the Bible says that we walk by faith, though, and not by sight. And we, and we have to hold on to trusting him. And, and I'm not one of these peoples who uh, peoples. Uh, I'm not one of these people who say, well, you need to embrace your doubts and just, you know, just get all into your doubts and all this stuff. No, I'm just saying, let's be honest. We're not perfect. We, we have doubts. We struggle with questions. But I, I do believe that, that we bring those before God and we say, God, I don't understand this. And like the man who said, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. We have that mixture. And, and like we saw with the, the women, they, they, they saw, you know, they, 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 the angel talked to them, right? In verse 8, and it says they were afraid, yet filled with joy. They had this mixture, and we're kind of like that, you know, but, but we hold on and we worship him because he's faithful, because he's true, because he is the king. He's faithful. He's true. He is the king. Our frail humanity, we believe and we doubt. Verse 18, and Jesus came to them, and he said these words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty radical statement for someone to make, right? And you say, well, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, and the, the people who, who do not believe in him, the people who are, are anti-Christ, not that they are the anti-Christ, but they are anti-Christ, they say, you know, that's kind of a, a, a statement, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm 56 now. Arrogant? That's kind of an arrogant statement. You know, all authority has been given to me, he says, in heaven and on earth. But, but, but Jesus either was speaking the truth or he was not speaking the truth. Either he truly has been given all that authority and he is the king of kings and lord of lords, or, or he isn't. And I don't, you know, I, you know I, I have found him to truly be that one in my life. Someone said these words, you know, he, he always was God the Son, but he, he, what happened here is this, the Son became the one through whom all God's authority is mediated, right? He became the one that, 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 that all of God's authority comes through. You know, in, in Timothy, it says, you know, for there's one mediator between God and man. And who is that? Christ Jesus. One mediator. He's, he's, he's the, the one. That's why it, it bothers people so much when they hear things like this and they hear what Jesus said, you know, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. And it makes people mad, but, but you know, that's what he said. 
Let's not, you know, try to make it nice, nice. That's what he said. And he either is who he said he is or he isn't. That whole thing about he's a liar or he's a lunatic or he is the Lord. In the book of Daniel, one of the great messianic passages, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the one that you and I worship. This is the one who these disciples, when they saw him, they worshiped, who the women clasped around his feet. Ephesians talks about him being far above all rule and authority. 1 Corinthians, that everything was put under his feet, everything but the Father, it says. So here he is. From beginning to end in the Gospel of Matthew, the king. Here he is who's giving, who is giving uh, a commandments, who's giving direction, giving this commission, what we call the Great Commission. In verse 18, leading into verse 19, he says, Therefore, therefore, wherefore? Wherefore? Because of what? Who he is. All authority has been given him because of who he is, of the king. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. These things, because of, of who he is, because of what he says, because he has this authority, these are the words he leaves his disciples. And the very last verse of the passage here, in verse 20, says to the very end of the age, which tells me that this is a continuing thing. It wasn't just for those 11 there. But it's for you and me today, too. It's for you and I today, these words. So we want to we listen. What does he say? What are they, let's break it down a little bit, right? And what's the first thing he tells them to do? Go. He says, go. Don't just sit around, but go. Don't be isolated and insulated, but go. We have to go outside these four walls and, and see what God would have us to do. God gave us this place, but he didn't give us this place so we could, like, hide in here. You know, it is safe. It feels warm. There's, it's peaceful in here. I like it in here. But this isn't heaven, and this isn't the mission field. The mission field is out there. I like, and I, I'd like to see, maybe put that over the doorway, you know, where I've seen it in churches where it says, you're now entering your mission field when you leave out the door. Of course, you know, we have needs here within us too, right? Within our body, we have needs and, and God is healing us. And as we surrender to him, as we worship him, good stuff happens like inside, right? I hope that's happening to you. I hope that's why you're coming here. You don't come here just because you, I don't know, you like our display on top of the thing there? That's why you come? That's only up for a few weeks. So the first thing he says is to go. It says in Mark that he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel to all creation. What's the first two letters? What's the first two letters of the word gospel? Go. Gospel, go. Good news, go. 
And we have a calling, we have a commission, each one of us, and, and, and each one of us is different. Some are called to go further afield. Some are, are called to stay right here in our own backyard. But, but we're all called to go. Keep that in mind when you have to go to work every day. When you have to go to your family's house for Thanksgiving dinner, which some of you did, and you, and you have to go to the store, and you have to go to school, and you have to go to these different places. Some look at, at the, uh, the, the structure of the verbs here in the, in the Greek language, and they talk about it in, in the sense of wherever you go, wherever you go, wherever it is that you go. Now, I think it includes that, but I also think there's something about, there's something to the fact where we need to be intentional, where we say, God, hear my, send me, like Isaiah said. And we have to be intentional about where, where is there some place you would like me to go? And we ask him. So number one is to go. What's number two there? What's number two? Make disciples. You could talk. It's okay. We're in this thing together, right? We're learning together, right? We're going together, right? We're, we're in this thing, right? Yeah? Okay, all right, just, just check. Because if I'm in this by myself, well, that's scary. I need you just as much as you need me, hopefully. So go, number one. Number two is to make disciples. And, and actually, the main imperative of this passage is this, is this verb, make disciples. It's a single word in the Greek language. And this is actually in the imperative um, sense. The other words are like participles, but they also have imperative force, people say. I read, you know, these Greek scholars who explain how these things all work together. They have imperative force, but this particular one is actually in the imperative that this is the, the heart of it all, is to make disciples. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, we can make a lot of things, right? We can make decisions, right? But he says to make disciples, and, and disciples being true followers. And this applies, and, and I find this interesting because it doesn't just apply to those people out there, but it applies to us in here too. We need to understand that, yes, we're called to go, but we're also be called to be made disciples and then we go out and and give what we have if we're if we if we're not being made into disciples we got nothing to give to show to be an example of either right so he says make disciples and you and i need to be made disciples growing in maturity growing in understanding growing in faith it, it starts with a decision though doesn't it we got to make a decision first before we ever make disciples, and we need to let people know they need to make a decision. And you and I need to make a decision. Hopefully, we have made a decision to allow Jesus Christ to be the king in our lives. Have you done that? That's the question I have to ask, and I need to ask every week. Have you done that? Because you can't become a disciple until you make a decision. And then we grow. Notice he says there, make Make disciples of all nations. It, 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 you know, it's spread out not just in America, not just in Rhode Island, but he says that to, of all nations, all over the world. Now, it, it's very interesting that uh, you can reach a lot of nations right here. 
you, you, can, you can reach a lot of people from a lot of different uh, countries. And, and as in America, you know, the, being the melting pot that we are, we, we have a lot of different countries and nations. So you don't necessarily have to, to leave the country to reach all peoples and nations, right? You know what I'm saying here? We have a lot of foreign students that come into our country. And, and, and uh, there are ministries, and maybe we should think about that, because we have some very big colleges here in our, just here in our state to reach out to some of the foreign students because many of the foreign students are, are some of the top-notch people uh, from their countries and they will be going back to their countries and, and having an impact, right? You see what I'm saying? But Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my what? Witnesses, where? In... Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts or to the ends of the earth. So he talks about Apanog? Lower Apanog. He talks about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of this is kind of this expanding circles, wider and wider. And, and, and he says you're going to be witnesses right there where you are. And then kind of further out and further out and finally to the ends of the earth. But it, notice it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us his witnesses. We can't do this in our own strength. But, but for me, my Jerusalem was San Diego, right? When I, when, that's where I was from. That's where I was part of. And, but, but for me, I, I just knew inside me that I needed to go somewhere else. I needed to go out. I, don't, I didn't really understand why. I was just really pretty young in the Lord, and, and, but I knew there was something in me that I needed to go out, and, and then we came here, and, 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 and this became then our Jerusalem. San Diego is not my home anymore. Rhode Island is my home, right? Interesting, though, the first few years, or maybe first 10 years or something, people were always wondering if I was going to leave and go back to San Diego, especially if I would go visit my family there. But, I, I, you know... San Diego, the weather is nice and everything, but I don't really don't want to go back there. I have no reason to go back there. I, I don't feel God calling me to go back there. I go back to visit my family, right? I'm going to visit my mother soon. She's almost 90 years old, and I don't know how much time she has, but I, I, I need to spend time with her. But my Jerusalem is here now, and, and, uh, and, and so... As we look at this as our Jerusalem, then we say, well, where are we reaching in, in, in our Jerusalem? We, we talk about places like Crossroads where we just had an outreach to, right, which was a blessing. And I'm, I'm just so blessed to be a part of this church and, and what you guys put together and, and did. Um, and I, I, just, I just got to watch and, and just be a part of it. Um, we have outreaches to a lot of different places. We support a lot of missionaries, and we have been on, on numerous missions trips throughout the years to Israel, to India, to Nicaragua, uh, uh, and different places. But, but you know, we, it's something we have to continually ask. We can't just think about what we did in the past. What about today? What about going on from here? What about in 2012? Is there some place that God would intentionally ask us to to get together and go. It takes some work. It takes some planning, right? You don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to India tomorrow. It just doesn't work out that way, right, Tony? 
it, it, it's, it's much more difficult to, to put something together. So, so intentionally, we have to say, God, where is it that you might call us to go? And, and I've been thinking about this, uh, that, that we need to be praying about it. We, our last trip was to Israel. We had a small uh, missions team that we went to Israel. But, but you know, we haven't been to Nicaragua in, in many uh, years. And, and maybe there's even another place that God would have us. We can't go everywhere, Right? We cannot do everything. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower, but we can do some things, right? So I, I just want to ask you to pray, like, God, where, where, is, where is our Samaria, our Judea? Where is our uttermost parts of the earth? Where would you be leading us to, to uh, get involved some way, somehow? Maybe it just starts right where you are. Maybe, maybe, as I said earlier, maybe it's a, a ministry on some campus where we see how we can help and serve in some way. And we begin to get involved in some way, somehow. So he says, go, and then he says, make disciples. Number three, what's number three? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is baptism? Baptism simply is an outward demonstration of what is, is on the inside. So it's something that's on the inside. Baptism doesn't save us. Baptism doesn't get us into heaven. But baptism is, it, and again, it's part of being a disciple too. It's, it's part of, of being obedient to the word of God, which the word of God says, be baptized, let other people know. Now for you and I here in America, it's not that uh, intimidating in one respect. If you are in a foreign country, uh, much like India or a place like Pakistan or other places, if you are baptized publicly as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are, you are putting yourself on the line. You're putting your faith on the line for persecution and for trouble. However, they do it all the time. People step up and they put their, their lives on the line because they believe in Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because of what has taken place inside of them. Have you been baptized? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized? I wonder if we should fire up the tank. <laughs> We've got this tank back there. I never, we never haven't put water in it yet. It's kind of interesting. There's stairs on both sides. Some of you have never been back into the, the regions. But there's stairs on both sides, you know, this little changing room and a bathroom and, you know, TV set. And, no, none of that, none of that. Just kidding. Brand new water heater down there. Could fire that thing up to whatever temperature we like. Have you been baptized? You don't have to wait until the summer. If you want to be baptized, let me know. Write it on the little piece of paper in your bulletin. Put it in the back. Say, I want to be baptized. If I get enough people who, who will make it happen, we'll do it somewhere. Whether it's here or somewhere else, we will do it. Because it's part of Jesus' commands here, you see. It's part of what he's asking his followers to do, to baptize people. I would love to give you a dunk. Notice the Trinity being involved in it too. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is like big. This is important. They're all involved in it. Let me know. Verse 20, the final and fourth thing is what? 
Go ahead and speak up. I can't hear you very well. I'm 56. Remember that. Teach. We have go, we have make disciples, we have baptize, and now we have teaching. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching is a very important thing where we learn, we study, we read, we're taught. We have, we have in America, we have so many resources. Uh, you know, it's just unbelievable the resources we have. We have radio stations, we have all kinds of internet resources, we have uh, bookstores, we have books and magazines, we have television. You know, there's so many resources we have to be taught. There's so much teaching that is taking place. Of course, that's not true everywhere else, right? They don't have quite the resources that, that we have here today. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be taught here today because this is part of the Great Commission. And, and one of the things that we believe very strongly in here is that we teach. We teach the Word of God. We teach God's Word. Jesus said earlier in Matthew Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, teach people, teach people God's word. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, here's another 3.16 he said, all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture, God's word. So we teach the word of God, and that's what we bring. That's our message. We don't go to people and, 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 and just tell them, well, we're here to help you in this way or that way. No, the message we have and what we can teach you is, is, is found in God's word. But notice what he says. He doesn't just say that, though, right? He doesn't say just teach people. What does it say there? Inductive Bible study students, what does it say? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's something about obedience and, and being a disciple where we're obedient. We're taught to obey. I was thinking about this. We need to be taught to obey. We need to be explained and, 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 and um, instructed to obey his word, that this is God's word and we need to do what it says. We can preach God's word all day long, but if we don't make any application, we don't say, well, how does that apply to me? Notice he says these are commandments. Do everything to obey everything I have commanded you. I think sometimes we think that they're just suggestions. Do everything I have suggested or maybe do something. But they're not suggestions, they're commandments Jesus said, if you love me, you obey what I command. If we're truly disciples, we will obey him. We'll do what he says. Not to be saved. Not in the sense of the Old Testament law where if I just do everything it says, then I will get into heaven. No, it's because we're getting into heaven, we do everything Jesus says. Because Jesus opened the way for us to get into heaven. What, what more, what what else can we do but to do what he says because of all that he's done for us? It's not just doctrine, though certainly the Bible has doctrine, and this word doctrine simply means teaching, but it's not just filling our heads full of doctrines, but, but it's, it's doctrine and teaching and words to obey and to live by. It's not just sitting and listening, but it's putting them into our lives and putting them into action. 
I love these words. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 23. I could read it, but I just, I want you to see it because this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. Just want to see if you're listening. Verse 23. Think about this. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. See that there? Isn't that what he just talked about? We just looked at in Matthew 28, 20. But read the rest. He says, My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's incredible. That's incredible. We follow him. We obey his commandments. He says that the Father will pour out his love upon us and that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come to us. He says we will come to him and make our home with him, abide with him. That's powerful. That is powerful. You say, well, you know, I, I don't have much of God in my life. I don't, you know, I don't sense much of his presence. I don't really know what's going on. Well, we have to maybe come back and say, well, do we really love him, first of all? And secondly, do we obey his commandments? Are we doing what he says? Because they, they kind of all go together, right? They go together. Go, he says, make disciples, baptize, and teach to obey everything. I've commanded you. And finally, the last verse there in Matthew 28, 20, the last sentence, he says, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He doesn't just leave us on our own, you know. That is so cool. He doesn't just say, Okay, you know, become my disciple, then just do it all yourself. See what you can do. He says, no, you know, no matter what, I'm going to be here with you. I, I, I will always be with you, and I will help you. I'll walk with you, and, 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 and all the way to the very end of the age. He never asks us to do something that he won't help us with. I found that to be true in 35 years of following Jesus. He never asks me to do something that he will not help me to do. Always. Somebody uh, translated the words there, that word always, it is more than one word in the original language. They translate it literally, the whole of every day. I will, be, I will be with you. Surely I am with you the whole of every day. We know the passage. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us. This verse here in Matthew 28, 20, this part of it, I'm told was the verse, the promise that encouraged uh, David Livingstone, the missionary who went out. He says this was something that, that kept him going, that encouraged him, that kept him going forward. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we began chapter 1, Matthew, where Jesus, it says about Jesus, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And we end the gospel here where Jesus is saying, I will be with you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he not? I'm with you always. The last verse is here in Matthew. But is it the end? Is it the end? The last verse of Matthew here. No, because it, it says to the very end of the age, and, and we have not gotten to the end of the age yet, and the story continues. 
down through the ages. And, and the exciting part of it is that it continues with you and it continues with me. This story, the, the, the truth of, of God's word living and uh, changing lives. Let me read you one quote. It says uh, Hendrickson, the commentator, says these words, Matthew's gospel ends with the expectation of continued mission and teaching in the light of the cross, the empty tomb, the triumphant vindication, exaltation of the risen Lord. In this sense, the gospel of Matthew is not a closed book until the end of the age. The final chapter is being written in the mission teaching of Jesus' disciple. The final chapter is being written. It's being written here today, Calvary Chapel, Green Meadow and all the other churches around that are following after Jesus Christ, the final chapter is still being written until the end of the age when we will see his return. Go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching to obey. Be a disciple, be baptized, be taught and obeyed. Who said it? The king. Shall we pray?